All right, Joanne's no longer in disguise, but uh, Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15 and going through to verse 23. So Colossians chapter 1, starting from verse 15, and that's page 833 in the Red Pew Bible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Okay, friends, let's uh, bow in prayer as we uh, come to look at this wonderful passage from Colossians. Father, we want to thank you for uh, uh, the way that you've uh, revealed yourself to us through scripture and uh, we... Thank you, Father God, for uh, this passage. We pray now that you would free our minds from those things which would otherwise distract us. Uh, We uh, pray that we would, by your spirit, have spiritual insight and understanding, that we would live lives that are worthy of you. We pray also for the the children in the Sunday school, that um, uh, they would be firmly rooted in uh, the great things that they're being taught from your word. We pray these things now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. A couple of years ago, uh, my son and I did some travelling together. We travelled around Asia for a few weeks and uh, one of the places we went to was Korea. The main purpose for us uh, visiting Korea was that we wanted to go to what's called the 38th parallel to the Uh, the joint security area uh, with the military demarcation line that separates the two Koreas who technically are still at war with one another. So it's an interesting place to go to. Most of the places we visited you couldn't take photos. They did allow some photos and we had a US military escort and all of that sort of thing. An unfading image for me is that of South Korean soldiers on guard. You can see them, they're the ones at the bottom there. Uh, 
Uh, on guard, these are uh, martial arts experts. They're taekwondo, jiu-jitsu experts in uniform, standing like statues for hours, without expression, not moving, not flinching, standing firm no matter what else was going on around them and staring down the enemy on the other side. That's the fellow on the top. An un unfading memory because it sort of catches the, the unflinching uh, commitment which you and I need to have towards the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because uh, we may start off in the Christian life with a very clear understanding of the gospel and a, a dogged determination to make the gospel the very centre of our lives. But over time, in the battlefield of life and uh, of ministry, uh, we can sometimes go a bit wobbly. We can sometimes uh, start to change our stance uh, because we can be tempted by the things around us. Uh, we can be tempted, for example, uh, to water down some of the less palatable truths of the gospel, um, such as the doctrine of sin or the, the doctrine of judgment and hell. So tempting sometimes to water down those doctrines. Uh, we can be tempted to be dissatisfied in our Christian life and to, uh, to, to, to want to move on further than Christ, uh, to, to, to move to something greater, something higher than Christ uh, in our quest for a, a more complete experience of God. And for many of us, many of us we're tempted by uh, the more subtle dangers of the uh, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, we can be tempted to, uh, to centre our lives more around our own personal ambitions rather than around the gospel of Jesus. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, it was a good news story because he was actually confident that they were standing firm, that uh, they were clear in their commitment that they had not budged from the gospel that they first heard. However, he had his concerns because he knew the spiritual environment, he knew of uh, false teachers, he knew of false teaching which actually could cause the Colossian Christians to, to flinch, uh, to, to move, to, to shift away uh, from their stance in the gospel. And the nature of the Colossian heresy, as it's sometimes called, is, is complex. Uh, but in essence, in essence, the, the pull was towards believing that the gospel of Jesus is good, but it's not quite good enough that Christ is the beginning, 
But if you want the complete package, then you need something extra. And we see hints of this throughout the letter to Colossians. Uh, you may need a special mystical experience to have the completeness of a relationship with God. Or you may need, in order to be really spiritual, you need to put your faith in Christ, but also do things yourself. Um, deprive your body, deprive yourself of some of the good things that, that God gives you. And so these were some of the temptations which could have caused the Colossian Christians to move away from the gospel of Jesus. And so in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, which would be really good if you could have that open, and there's an outline for you in your service sheets there. In Colossians 1, verses 15 through to 23, Paul's response to this is to remind the Colossian Christians of two great truths. The great truths of, number one, who Christ is, and number two, of what he has done for us. Now, people have all sorts of views as to who Jesus is. Um, there was a survey that I read that was published in the Melbourne Age newspaper a few years ago that uh, they surveyed people and found that 12% of uh, Aussies who they surveyed say that they didn't even believe that Jesus ever lived, that he's just a myth. Something some, you know, that the church has made up. Uh, most people tend to think of Jesus as being a good man, uh, a great moral teacher who, uh, by his teaching, has shaped Western culture and our, our ethics and our morality. Uh, then there are those who would see Jesus as being the, uh, uh, along with others such as Buddha and Muhammad and so on, as the, the founder of a great world religion. Uh, and like those others, leading people into the same universal truth. These are just some of the views that people hold as to who Jesus is. But here in Colossians 1, Paul makes some astonishing claims about Jesus. You might want to have a look at verse 15. He says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all of creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created, what does he say? By him and for him. Wow. Wow. How do you unpack that? Um, Colossae was a very pagan city it's, uh, in what was in those days called Asia Minor. These days it's called Turkey, although these days it's more of an archaeological dig than anything else. But uh, in <clears throat> the temptation in that environment, that geographic and spiritual environment, the temptation was for people to give too much credit and too much authority to other spiritual powers. I guess it's different in our own day, isn't it? Because in our own day, people tend to give no credit to any spiritual power, as if God doesn't exist. And yet, as we look at our world, as we look at our universe, as we 
we, we see evidence, don't we? We see evidence of the designer all around us from the, the, uh, the, the countless stars and planets and moons uh, through to the smallest of microbes. Scientists cannot prove with 100%, cannot give 100% proof whether God exists or not. And there's a good reason for that. Uh, what do you think the reason is? Why is it that they can't prove that God does, does or does not exist? It's because God is spirit. God is invisible. But what Paul says here is that the invisible God has actually revealed himself to us with great clarity. Uh, not here through the creation, he says that in other places, but God has, the invisible God has connected and communicated with us in the best possible way, and that is by becoming one of us. When Paul says that the Son is the image of the invisible God, he doesn't mean that Jesus is like a photograph of God or uh, some sort of a replica of God. It's not even saying that it's, he's got the family likeness. You know, like, it's not like saying that my daughter is the spitting image of her mother, which she is, by the way, um, thankfully. I remember one friend met her for the first time and looked at me and said, Scott, you didn't get much say in the gene pool, did you? <laughs> Very grateful for that. But that's not what Paul's saying here. It's not saying that Jesus is like a replica of God or a photograph of God or even just in the same family of God. No, he expands on it in verse 19 by saying, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And uh, over in uh, chapter 2 verse 9, uh, he goes even further. He says, For in Christ... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Did you notice the, the repetition there? He doesn't just say that the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. What does he say? He says, all the fullness, as if you can have something more than just the fullness. And what he's doing there is he's, 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 leaving, he's leaving no options for any other view that everything that God is, Christ is. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So that there is nothing about God which is not in Christ. And in verse 15, Paul describes him as being the firstborn over all of creation. What does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean that that he's firstborn like everyone else is born. Uh, it doesn't mean that Jesus was created by the Father as if there was a time when Christ was not, that he's just a superior spiritual being but not quite God, as the Jehovah's Witnesses say. No, in verse 16, all things were created by him and for him. That is, with the Father and the Spirit, he is the creator. Do you think of Jesus that way? He is the creator. But more than that, like the firstborn son in any biblical family, he is the heir 
He is the inheritor of all that there is. So he is the creator in the beginning and he is the heir at the end. He is the alpha, he is the omega. In fact, if he is the creator and the heir, then really Jesus is at the very very heart of the universe. Uh, in fact, without him, it would all stop. It wouldn't exist. What Paul is saying here is that all of existence is about Jesus. Verse 17, verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And yet, there is a created being who does sit at the pinnacle of God's creation and it's not Jesus. It's actually us. It's, it's men and women. It's you and me. Uh, like other animals, we live, we breathe, we think and so on. But what makes us different is that we have a consciousness of God. It's how we're wired. God has made us for relationship with himself, to love him, to honour him, to obey him. And yet the problem is that that's not the way that things are. In verse 21, Paul reminds the Colossians of what they once were. Have a look at verse 21. Verse 21, he says, Once you were alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. How about that? Alienated from God. Have you ever been alienated from a person? I'm sure you have. Most of us have, have experienced what it feels like to be alienated from another person. And uh, you, you know how that works out, don't you? You're walking down the street, you see the person coming the other way and your heart rate seems to increase or your acid valve opens up and you think I just want to cross the road so I don't have to bump into them, I don't have to make small talk, I don't, because there is a barrier there is a barrier between you and them, you are alienated from one another and in our natural state there is a barrier between us and God for we all know that there's not one of us here who has loved honoured and obeyed him as we were created to do. One glance at the newspapers tells us that things aren't right in our world. Wars, murders, assaults, corruptions, but that's, it's not just that, is it? Because the truth of the matter is that no matter how good or how moral or how upright we are, there is none of us who puts God first in our lives and lives for the very reason for which we've been created. We tend to live with ourselves at the centre. We are alienated from God. Which means that God, God's got every right to be angry. God's got every right to judge, even to punish us. That's what we once were. But, and the word but's a very important word, isn't it? But not now, for what is it that God has done for us? Verse 22, verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. 
That, this is extraordinary stuff. It's astonishing, really. And Paul here, he uses the language of the courtroom. Uh, Paul's claim is that on the great day of judgment, we who were alienated from God because of our, uh, our rebellion against him, we who were enemies of God because of our sinful behaviour, are now people who, can, who could stand before the judge with a clean record. No blemish, says Paul. Free from accusation at peace with God. How can this be? When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just the death of another great religious leader or a moral crusader. It was the death of the one through whom and for whom all things have been made. It was the death of the one in whom all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. It was the death of the one who is supreme over all creation. And he died for us. Because on the cross, the penalty for all of our sin, your sin and my sin, was poured out on him instead. So that he took the punishment which we deserved. How good is that? How wonderful, how sufficient do you think that Jesus' death is? Do you think it's good enough? Do you think it does the job? Is it sufficient to, to pay for your sin, my sin? How about, is it sufficient to pay for the sin of any person, anywhere, at any time, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done? Is it sufficient for that? Is it good enough? Or why would anyone even dream of moving away from a gospel as good as that, hey? Why would you even contemplate shifting and turning to something else? Well, I think part of the reason is that um, uh, we, we don't really grasp the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, it's why people think, well, yes, believing in Christ is good enough, but, well, it's, it's, it's a good thing, but I need to actually... Um, perform certain rituals or deprive my body, suffer in some way in order to make up for what Christ, in the areas where his, his death is not sufficient. Or, yes, Christ is good, but I, really, I really do need some extra, some mystical experience to complete the job. It's because we haven't grasped the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of his death, and the spiritual experience which we have already received in him. No longer alienated, but now reconciled to our God forever. You know, he's the firstborn over all creation, but Paul also says that he's the firstborn from among the dead, that he's the firstborn from the new creation, because he didn't stay in the grave, did he? He was raised from the dead so that he's not only Lord of the universe, he's Lord of the church 
He's your Lord. He's my Lord. That's the gospel. That's the gospel which in verse 23, uh, Paul has said has been, created, has been preached to every creature. He's gone around the whole of the middle, of Mediterranean, the Middle East, preaching the gospel. It's the gospel which Paul had become a servant of. And it's the gospel which in verse 23, Paul says that we need to be established in and firm in. And here he changes the metaphor. Uh, it's not the metaphor of the courtroom, it's the metaphor of the construction industry. Because uh, he's saying that we are to be like a building with foundations that are sunk deep, deep into the ground and with a structure which is strong and solid, not shifting, not bending, not moving anywhere, because guess what? There's nowhere better to go. Nowhere better. You know those South Korean soldiers? Um, not all of the South Korean soldiers on that military demarcation line spent their time staring down the North Koreans on the other side. There is a in that joint security area, there's, a, uh, there's a, a conference building. See that one in the middle there? The blue, the, the blue conference building. And technically, uh, when you're standing inside that building, uh, if you're at the northern end of the building, then you're actually inside North Korea. There's a door that stops you from going out of that building and there's a guard there to stop people walking out of the wrong door. Uh, someone asked the question, what happens if we walk out onto the other side? And the answer is, well, life will get very interesting for you. Most likely you'll be shot. And so the guard there needs to keep his stance, hold his nerve, Plus, in what must really test the limits, put up with having irritating people of my, like myself getting photographs with them, whilst not flinching, not budging, not moving, not even an inch. And you know what? That is exactly how we need to be with respect to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't budge an inch. And be like Paul, who actually becomes a servant of that gospel and takes that gospel out to those who are still alienated from God, that many more might be reconciled and become part of that new creation. Let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious Father, thank you so much for your fantastic gospel. Thank you so much that uh, uh, you have sent the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the one who is the creator, the sustainer, and the, and, the, and the inheritor of all of creation. Thank you that he came and dwelt amongst us. 
Not only that, but he died for us as the perfect, complete, sufficient sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the world. Father, we pray that uh, we would so grasp what he has done for us that we would find our joy and our satisfaction and our meaning and our hope in that. That we would not move from the gospel. And use us, we pray, Lord God, as we seek to be faithful to the gospel, to take it to those who do not yet know you. We ask these things now in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.